book of Genesis chapter number 17. We're continuing our series today, The Apple of His Eye. Zechariah chapter 2 says, He who touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. And we've been asking the question and answering the question, what is the big deal about the nation of Israel? And today I'm going to jump in a little bit deeper and I'll be concluding my series after next week and uh, I'll show you really why it matters to us. But um, this morning we're going to answer a real specific important question. So if you got Genesis 17, go ahead and jump up on your feet today. And I love to hear pages turning, but I want to warn you this morning, I have a lot of Scripture, okay? Because this is more really not like a sermon like I would typically preach, but it's more of a Bible study in a sermon setting. So I'm going to be preaching through some of this fast. So rather than necessarily have you turn to every single thing, you mark it down, and then you can go back and read it later. Of course, our notes are always in the church app. You can go and see those. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When you have it, say amen. These are the words of Scripture. Here's what it says. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between you and me, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abraham fell on his face. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants um, after you. And then look at verse 8. He says, Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. I want to read one more scripture. I want to go back to verse 8. This is where we're getting our text from today. Verse number 8 says this, And also I will give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all of the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. Pray that you would speak to our hearts, give us an ear to hear and a heart to understand everything that you have for us today. And I give you all of the glory, all of the praise, and all of the honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Turn around to somebody and tell them good morning. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad that you're in the house of the Lord this morning. We're going to continue uh, this series that we started last week entitled uh, The Apple of His Eye, talking about the nation of Israel and how important she is to God and kind of looking at some of the things that we're dealing with uh, as a nation, as a people, as a country, our involvement and things of that nature. And I want to answer the question for people who may not know What's the big deal about Israel? Why should we even matter? I mean, why, why should it even be a big deal to us? And I believe that when we have great theological foundation from the Word of God, we come to understand God's importance for the nation of Israel. Last week, we began to understand that God's promise to Abraham was that he would make him a nation and that from his loins, his lineage, would come the seed where would the land of Israel, the people of Israel, would be birthed from. And God literally, in the Scripture, gives them the parameters of where to go. Now, I, I told you that I've been catching a lot of flack on preaching on this subject. In fact, this last week, I received message from somebody who said, I really should leave politics out of my preaching. I want you to know something right here. Look at me right here. The land of Israel is not politics. It's biblical. The land of Israel is not politics. It's biblical. I would go on to say this. It's not political. It's prophetic. 
because Israel is God's time clock for the nations. And so as we continue to look at the land of Israel, we're going to see that. This does not come from a position of um, all, all Muslims are bad because I've met some very nice Muslims and I've met some very mean Christians. Hello. This doesn't come from the, the mindset of, of, of superiority or Zionism, but rather is understanding the covenant that God has made with his people. Last week, we ended on Romans chapter 11, where we found that Israel is partially blinded right now to the gospel until the time of the Gentiles comes to the full. But God has an end-time redemptive plan for the nation of Israel because his people, according to the book of Romans, will come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's covenant will stand with the nation of Israel. And you got to ask yourself this question before we go any further. Why is that important? Because if God doesn't keep his covenant with Abraham, what makes you think he'll keep his promise to you. But I want you to know he's a promise-keeping God, and he is able to fulfill everything that he's promised to us from Genesis to the book of Revelation. If you believe in that, you ought to say amen this morning, because it's important to know he's a covenant-keeping God. It's important for us. When we begin to look at this, we've got to ask ourselves the question, why the controversy around this little nation in the Middle East called Israel? Um, last week, I, I compared the size of Israel to Rhode Island, and may, I misspoke a little because they're not the same population or landmass-wise, but Rhode Island's the smallest state in our union, and then Israel is the smallest country in the Middle East. And so comparison of size, it's they're so small compared to everyone else. They're surrounded by her enemies. But you've got to ask yourself the question, why is she hated? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, Israel is hated because she is the only nation in the Middle East that resembles anything to a democracy. Okay, Anything remotely related to a democracy is the nation of Israel. Second thing, why is Israel hated so much? Israel is hated because she's the only Middle Eastern country that has a Muslim minority. Uh, so they're hated because of that. But the third and the most specific reason that the nation of Israel is hated right now is because they are occupying the land that God has promised them. Uh, the question this morning that we've got to answer biblically to know what side of prophetic history we stand upon is this. To whom does the land of Israel belong? To whom does the land of Israel belong? In fact, that is the title of my message today. To whom does the land of Israel belong? You know, on many occasions, this land has been called the promised land. It's been called the land of Canaan. Uh, up until 70 AD, uh, it was called the land of Israel, God's promised land. But you know, Jesus prophesied in Matthew's gospel, chapter number 24, that uh, the Romans would come in and not leave one stone unturned of that temple. And they came in and dispersed the Jews. Titus and his army came down from Rome and invaded Jerusalem. And listen, what happened after the dysphoria, after all of the Jews were scattered, uh, or many of them, some of them stayed, but many of them were scattered, what happened is, is that Titus and the government of Rome captured every map that was in the known world of that time and changed the name from Israel to Palestine. Palestine. Do you know why they did that? Because Palestine, hello somebody, uh, is a derivative of the word Philistine, which was the ultimate enemies of the Lord and his people in Israel in the Old Testament. So there was an attempt to uh, erase the nation of Israel and God's people out of existence. And can I tell you, that plot of the enemy has not changed. That's what we saw with Hitler, amen? Hitler, in a, in a scheme to eradicate an entire race of people, you gotta ask yourself the question, why is the devil so afraid of this little bitty group of people and this little bitty parcel of land in the Middle East? I can tell you why, because even the devil knows prophecy better than most Christians. He understands that Israel has 
a time of her exaltation. In fact, Psalm chapter 102, and I'm going to get into this in a couple weeks. Psalm 102 says, when the Lord builds up Zion, then he shall appear in his glory. There's coming a day where Jesus is going to come back for his church. And Israel is going to come to Christ. It's going to be amazing. So it's important. The enemy is afraid of this nation. Russia and China and Iran and all of the other nations that hate her are positioning themselves for bloodshed and war. Uh, this morning, we've got to ask ourselves the question, whose side do we side upon? Now, today, as we get into this, we've got to, to say we understand that uh, as things are as they are right now, that there are many Jews who do not believe in Jesus. There are many Jews who are Jews by nationality who are atheists. And so this morning, uh, by preaching about Israel and supporting Israel, you need to understand it's not coming from a a platform of Israel's always done everything right. It comes from the platform of God's covenant promise is with the people of Israel, and God will fulfill his plan that he promised. So this morning, are you ready to go on a journey? All right, let's do it together. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, number one. Number one, here we go. Why is it important? Number one, because the land was given by who? The land was given by God. Now, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, here's what it says. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, which had appeared to him. I want to look a little bit further. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 through 15, here's what it says. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants, I need you to catch this next word, forever. Somebody say forever. Now that terminology is, is starting to get familiar because in Genesis chapter 17, in verse 8, that, that verse I had us go back to read, you need to understand that God said, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land, somebody say the land, in which you are a stranger, all of the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Now, I don't know about you, but forever and everlasting, they mean the same thing. This is the only piece of land. I want you to understand history. Even the formation of our nation in the United States. Now, I'm proud of this country. I'm proud of our vets. And I'm proud of everybody who served. But we also are not ignorant to the fact of the founding of our nation. How they came over and there were some people who were living here. And there was some bloodshed and it was bad stuff. So we get that. Nations have conquered and possessed nations all throughout history. The strongest man wins. That's been the name of the game throughout history. But I want to tell you, there's something different, though, about the land of Israel than there is about America. There's something different about the land of Israel than there is about China. There's something different about the land of Israel than there is about Mexico. Are you ready? Here it is. The land of Israel is the only piece of land where God signed the title deed himself. The land of Israel is the only land that God has signed the title deed himself. God himself set the boundaries for this land that would be called the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And in that land, God said, this is my eternal everlasting covenant forever and ever. Ever. I got news for somebody. Anybody ever been to Jerusalem before? Raise your hand. Come on, just a couple. I got, I got good news for the rest of you. You're getting ready to go there. Hallelujah. It's going to be a new Jerusalem, though, coming down out of heaven. So you may not have ever got to see the uh, Wailing Wall. You may not have ever got to see the Sea of Galilee. But by golly, when you get to heaven one day, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you'll get to see that. And it'll be just like God said. You know why? Because it's an everlasting covenant. You're not going to heaven to float on the cloud for, for countless ages. You're not going to be a baby on a harp playing, come on, uh, instruments. You are going to be on the new heavens and the new earth, walking where Jesus walked. Hello. Man, that's powerful. 
Man, the land was given by God himself. It's powerful. No other nation can say such a thing. Nobody can boast such a heavy accolade that God himself gave this piece of land. It's powerful. So why is it a big deal? Why should Israel fight for it? Why should she just not lay over and let somebody take it from her? Because that land was given to them by God. Why should Israel not play nice with Hamas? Which, by the way, everybody who's sympathizing with Palestine and, uh, and Gaza, do you not know that Hamas is the elected government for Gaza? Who in the world elects a government that's okay with beheading babies and raping innocent women? At least Israel warned them before they came in with their strikes. Hello, they are not the same. It's not the same. They have a right to protect themselves because this was a land that was given to them by God. All right, we're going to go a little bit further, y'all okay? We're going to pick up some speed here. I got like six or seven pages of notes, so. All right, the land was given by God. Number two, this is important. The land was given to the descendants of Isaac. Number two, the land was given to the descendants of Isaac. You understand the promise came through Abram, Abraham. God called him Abraham before he ever had the first child. It was a faith declaration. Abraham, I, Abram, I see in you what you do not see in yourself. I know that your wife has not bore a child, but I'm going to call you a father of many nations. You know why? Because he's a God who calls those things that be not as though they were. He said, Abraham, I see something in you. From your loins will come a nation. Last week, we learned that Abraham and Sarah got impatient with God, and so off come along this little Ishmael child. It was Abraham's child, but it was not the child of promise. And so through Isaac, his seed shall be, is what the Scripture says. The land was given to the descendants of Isaac. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 18 through 19. Here's what the Bible says. It says, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham was petitioning for God for Ishmael. But then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and his descendants after him. Right? Look at Hebrews 11, verse 18. Hebrews eleven eighteen 18 says this. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. Here's the importance that I want you to see. Abraham had two children. He had um, uh, Ishmael, and then he had Isaac, okay? So after Isaac, Isaac to Isaac was born who? Jacob, okay. We, we see this progression here. But there are two lineages that come from Abraham, the thing about Islam and the thing about Judaism is they, and, and Christianity is they all claim the same father of our faith. And they are correct in that aspect. They came through the lines of Abraham. But Ishmael was not the promise. He was uh, prophesied that he would war with his brothers for all of his life like a, like a wild donkey. And this Islamic religion, the, the radical extremist Islamic religion that has come up through uh, the, the seed of Ishmael has fought with its brothers in the Middle East since the existence of time. It's not anything that's going to get better. It's going to continue over and over and over and over again. There's a fight between the seed of Ishmael and there's a fight between the seed of Isaac. You've got to see that. It is a fight. It is a fight of covenant. It's a fight of priority. It's a fight of position. But God tells us about all of these things. And so the fact is that the turmoil that we're seeing in the Middle East today has always been about this. Does the promised land belong to Ishmael? Does the promised land belong to Isaac? And according to the Bible, the, the promised land belongs to the descendants of Isaac, which would be Israel. Would belong to the descendants of Isaac. 
which would be through his loins, which would be the nation of Israel. I saw recently in a news report where um, somebody was interviewing uh, Palestinians in, in Israel, and, and uh, they're trying to say that the Palestinians had been there way longer, but they actually found artifacts from the nation of Israel from thousands of years. And they asked them, how can you reconcile the fact that, that, that you have these Israeli artifacts thousands of years before Palestine was ever uh, quote-unquote, established, and they were put here in this parcel of land, and they all could not answer. See, not only does the Bible point to the fact that Israel was privy to the land, but history points to the fact that they were uh, given that land by God. That land is the most fought-over land in all of the world. As they say in the real estate markets and by the professionals, location, help me, location, location. People say, why can't the, why can't the Jews just, you know, because right now you understand that there are still parts of Israel and even Jerusalem that are run by uh, the Arab culture. Uh, for instance, the city of Bethlehem is under Palestinian rule. Uh, the Temple Mount right now, where Solomon's Temple, where, where Golgotha's Hill, where uh, all of those things, where the biblical prophecy right now, the Dome of the Rock sits there, which is the most sacred, aside from Mecca, it's the most sacred holy place in all of Islam. And people say, how come the Jews just can't share and, and, and build a t an, another temple somewhere else? Why can't they scoot over and build one on the other side of Jerusalem? How come they can't build one on the other side? And I want to tell you why. Because God is very clear about his plans for the nation of Israel. And I want you to know something. There's coming a day, and it is interesting, that uh, there will be another temple built there on that site. The book of Daniel tells us that. Do you know, I didn't know I was going to go here today, but I will. Do you know that the the Muslims are waiting on a Messiah. His name is called in Arabic, the Mohadi. You know what his number one uh, mode of, of executing his enemies is? Beheading. Do you know in the days of the Antichrist during the tribulation, do you know what the number one mode of execution is? to those who miss the rapture or who are alive during that day or who refuse to take the mark of the beast, is execution. Hello, somebody. I wonder sometimes if in the middle of the peace treaty when they're told they could rebuild, I wonder exactly how all of that is going to work out. But I do know this. I do know this. It's interesting to me that both of them fight for that one piece of land, specifically the Dome of the Rock. Keep your eyes on it. Watch and see what happens. Interesting. The land was given to the descendants of Isaac. According to the word of God, that is who it belongs to. Okay? Now, I want to go a little bit further here this morning. The third thing. I'm going to go fast here. The third thing you need to understand is that God promises to fight for Israel. God promises to fight for Israel. We need to look at Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter, and I want to look at verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire, he will destroy them and bring them down before you so that you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in and possess the land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you. Notice this. Are you ready? Don't miss this. 
that he might fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Why is God protecting Israel? Is it because she's righteous? No. I told you there's already lots of atheists and unbelievers and people in, in, uh, in the nation of Israel. But why has God promised to protect her? To fulfill his covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of their descendants. See, the thing is, there are people right now fighting in Israel that don't even realize the Lord is fighting with them. Why is it that Israel is surrounded on every side by Syria and Turkey and Hezbollah and Hamas and they have not been destroyed? There's been attempts after attempts after attempt after attempt to wipe them off of the face of the planet. But do you know something that's interesting? Of all of the nations of the world, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jewish people are the only people who have, that have been dispersed from their land, but yet have maintained their identity, their culture, and their language. Do you know why? Because God has his mindset to preserve the nation of Israel. That's the only reason why. It's the only thing that makes sense. God has a plan to preserve his people. It's prophetic. God is fighting for her. Sure, Israel has the Iron Dome. Sure, they have the technological advances that, that can fight all of the armies of the world that would try to come against her. But more than that Iron Dome, the God of heaven is fighting over the nation of Israel. Why? Because the whole Bible, folks, from Genesis 1 to Revelation, the end, is a romanticized love story of salvation between Israel and the Lord. Man, so awesome. God is constantly drawing this people back to himself. I promise you, it matters to us as Christians. I'm going to tell you why in a little bit. Now, here's the thing, though. People have said that are critics to this type of preaching. People have said that are critics to this type of interpretation. They said, yeah, but that was like, that was for the nation of Israel, you know, and, and, and God was, you know, um, using them, but, you know, they've turned their back on God, and now God doesn't care. And, and you know, as I mentioned last week, uh, there's a doctrine that says that the church has replaced Israel. And we, we talked about how that's very heretical and undoctrinal, unscriptural. Um, Romans 11's plain is a nose on your face. That God has not replaced the nation of Israel, but he's grafted us into that family. So, um, along with that, people have said, well, God has just simply, you know, moved on. And he's got another plan and whatever. But I want to read what the scripture says. But uh, point number four, if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, is this. Israel's sin and disobedience did not change God's mind. I'm about to show you something that's going to blow your mind today. Israel's sin and disobedience did not change God's mind. Leviticus chapter 26. I want to read verse 40 through 45. Um, uh, but I specifically focus on 44 and 45. It says, and yet for that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor will I abhor him to utterly destroy them. And I will not break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord. Stop right there. He's talking about the time when Israel would be in captivity, when they would be, have turned from the Lord. And they had walking away. God says, because of my promise, because of my covenant, I will not destroy them. I'll let them get whooped. I'll let them get tired. I'll let them get the brakes beat off of them, so to speak. But I will not turn my back on them, nor will I abhor them or cast them away, because I will not break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord your God. Folks, you got to understand something today. God's covenant with Israel has nothing to do right now with their 
position in the world. This has everything to do with God's promise to Abraham. Now, I said this last week, and I feel so inclined to say this again, because I do not want to paint a picture to you that is not correct. Listen, pastor is not saying that just because you're an Israelite, you're saved. I'm not saying just because you're a Jew, you have an automatic ticket to heaven. The Bible says there's only one way. And Jesus, who was a Jew, said, I am the door, and nobody comes into the sheepfold except by me. These people, they will. It, it most will be through the tribulation. But they will come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will exhaust every single avenue to reach these people because it will prove in the end that he is a covenant-keeping God and that he keeps his promise. Listen, God's covenant, this is going to help somebody, God's covenant with Israel does not change because of their disobedience. In other words, God doesn't change his mind. You know, I was reading the other day. We always quote this scripture in Romans chapter 11. When people fall into sin, right, or people backslide and they, they feel like they've missed their calling with God. People say, you know, I just feel like I've blown it and I can't come back to the Lord, you know. And maybe they had a call to preach on their life or, or something like that. And now they're in condemnation because they've fallen into sin and they've come back. And now they say to themselves, and they, they half quote the scripture from Romans chapter 11 that says, well, you know, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Anybody ever heard that before or you've quoted that before? Most people in this room. Did you know the context of that scripture is the nation of Israel? The entirety of the context of that scripture, yes, it applies to us because Paul puts a comma there and he says, but you. And so listen, the same thing applies to us. God doesn't change his mind just because we mess up. You may mess up and never fulfill the promise. God may skip a generation and go to the next, but he's never going to change his mind about what he's already established about his people. Come on, God has a plan and your stupidity cannot change it. You can forfeit the ability to go in your promised land. Just ask thousands of Israelites as they came through the land of Egypt. But God doesn't change his mind. He will have a people who will shine his name throughout generation to generation. The Israel's sin and disobedience did not change God's mind. That's powerful. All right now, you ready? You ready for this? All right, let's go. Number five, God promises to restore Israel. In AD 70, Rome came in, Titus, General Titus. He set the temple on fire. He destroyed, and and many people went out to all these different nations. They were scattered, which, by the way, that didn't catch God by surprise. He told them in Matthew 24 it was going to happen. He told them in Luke 21 it was going to happen. They were scattered. They went to Russia. They went to Germany. They went to Spain. They went to Italy. They went to all over the world. Jewish people scattered all over the place. You know, God wasn't caught off guard by that. He prophesied about it all throughout the Old Testament. And if we would have paid attention, he would have told us, or he told us, but we would have understood what he told us, what he was going to do. I want you to look at the prophet Jeremiah. Here's what he says. Jeremiah 16, verse 15. You can go read it all in context later, but here's what he says. He says, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I have given to their fathers. Once you notice this, for the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north. What's north of Israel? Think about it. 
For I, notice this, I will bring them back into the land which I have given their fathers. So I want you to notice this. God says, my people are scattered, but I'm going to bring them back to the land. They're scattered, but I'm going to bring them back to the land. All right? Jeremiah 31, verse 10. I want you to, to see this. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah also said. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. The Lord says, I, I scattered them. I allowed them to be scattered because of their idolatry. I allowed them to go forth because it was all a part of God's redemptive plan. God allowed them to be scattered. But I want to show you something cool. You ready? Isaiah 43, 5. Isaiah 43, 5 through 7. Here's what it says. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east, and I will gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And from the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons and daughters from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, and everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Here's what the Lord said. I'm speaking to the north. I'm speaking to the south. I'm speaking to the east. And I'm speaking to the west. And I'm saying just like Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go. And guess what happened? Israel's deliverer begins to bring her back to the land that God has promised her. You know why this is significant? Because this was fulfilled in the lifetime of some of the people in this room. See, in May 14th of 1948, something significant happened. Uh, Ben-Gurion then signed the declaration that birthed the nation of Israel and established her as a nation again. Israel was not the official nation, uh, an official nation, until that time, uh, all the way up to the uh, dysphoria of the Jews when they were scattered in 70 AD. Listen, um, up until this time of 1948, just years before that, I want you to hear this. This is amazing. Prior to 1948, there were recorded only 350,000 Jewish people living in the land which is now called the land of Israel. Today, there are 8.5 million Jews in the Holy Land in just that short time. I believe God is bringing his people back from the north, the south, the east, and the west because that is his promise to his nation. And the Bible says when you begin to see these things, you better look up. The event of 1948 fulfilled a very prophetic passage of Scripture. Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. In one day, one day, the nation of Israel was reformed. One day. One day. Do you know it only takes one day for God to turn around a problem in your life? One day. Years of exile. Years of bondage. Years of being scattered from the land. But in one day, God reestablished the nation of Israel. You know why that's important? You know why that's significant? Because all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that refer to the second coming of the Messiah reference Israel being a nation and Jerusalem being the capital. Prophetic. Folks, all of this stuff is way more significant than we give it credit for. Come on, we're not hokey. We're not um, exaggerating. We're not fear-mongering. 
but simply looking at what the Bible says about the nation of Israel. If you want to know what God's doing in the world, get your eyes off of CNN. Get your eyes off of Fox. Get your eyes off of the presidential election. It's important, I give you that, but get your eyes off that. If you want to know what God is doing in the world, look at Israel. She is God's prophetic timepiece. And listen, the scripture is clear. No man knows the day nor the hour, even the angels in heaven, when the Son of Man will come. I understand that. I would never in a million years be labeled as a date setter or somebody who picks, you know, Jesus is going to appear this time, that time. People have done that for ages and they've made fools of themselves. I will tell you this. We may not know the day or the hour, but I do believe you can know the season. Jesus said, you hypocrites to the Pharisees. You discern the sky is red. You discern that fair weather, but you can't discern the signs of the times. Because God promised to establish the nation of Israel again. Bring his people back. Jerusalem became the capital. And now what we begin to see is all of the nations of the world, specifically the key players, Russia, China, Iran. We, we begin to see things that Amos prophesied about. We, we begin to see how the Euphrates River is drying up for the first time ever, where in some places you literally can walk across it, ankle-deep water. We're seeing all types of things that begin to point to the fact that our redemption draws near. Now, I will tell you this. People say, Pastor, are we in the last days? I want to answer that question a little bit differently. I don't want to answer the question, are we in the last days? But rather, I want to give you a statement. If you die today, it will be your last day. If you die today, it will be your last day. So the Bible says... When you see all these things, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're to put our head in the sand. Nowhere does it say that we're supposed to hide in our houses. Nowhere does it say that we should cower down in a bunker somewhere and have seven years worth of food to, to feed our families. Oh, no, that's not what the Bible, the Bible says to watch and pray and be, be, be also ready for the Son of Man comes in an hour when you think not. Tell you, folks, he's coming faster than a wheel's ever turned on an axle. Faster than the lightning is ever flashed from the east is to the west. The magnificent power of his perfect persons will split the eastern sky and Jesus is coming. But, friends, listen, the Bible says that we're to occupy until he comes. Jesus said it like this, we're to work while it's still daylight outside. He's using an analogy because there's coming a day. Listen, in, in Jesus' day, right, they didn't have factories with generators and, and electrical plants where they could run for 24 hours and, and you just could work around the clock. That's a, that's a modern day invention. In those days, when, when the sun went down, your productivity went out. And Jesus said, there's coming a day where Nighttime's coming, and no man will be able to work. But we work while it's day. We work while it's day. This last Wednesday night, I referenced the scripture from 2 Peter. I believe it's fitting because Peter said, in the last days, scoffers will come. And they'll say, 
Where is the promise of his coming? For as the days of the fathers until now, all things continued as they were. And then Peter writes, and he goes on to say this. He says, but the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But rather, he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Do you know, I personally believe, and I could be wrong, wouldn't be the first, it wouldn't be the last. But as I read and interpret the Scripture the best that I can, I don't feel like anything else really has to happen before the Lord takes away his church. Some, some would argue and say, well, what about Gog and Magog? And, you know, it's, it's kind of unclear. It could happen before. It could happen after. It could happen at the same time. It doesn't really matter to me because it's going to happen. Can't pray it away. It's prophesied. But as far as I can tell, Israel becoming a nation and Jerusalem becoming its capital, I don't see anything else in Scripture that has to be there. What I do see is the world racing to a one-world currency. What I do see is this one-world currency is wrestling to a digital currency, which, by the way, big cities all across America are saying, no cash, no cash, card only. You know why that is, don't you? You, you do know that one day, if the nation or the nations decide to go cashless, all it takes is a computer virus or a flip of a switch, and you can't use your stuff anymore. Be kind of easy for the Antichrist to say, you know, you didn't take my mark, so you're not going to buy or sell. Let your baby starve. I'm worried this morning, concerned about lukewarm Christians. Yeah, I said it. If you're not really living for Jesus, now listen, coming to church does not mean you're living for Jesus. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, not well done, good and faithful church attender. And here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. If you can't sell out now, what makes you think that when the restraining force of the church is taken out of the way and the Antichrist, the white horse rider, reveals himself and begins to implement his plan of, of worshiping the image of the beast, what makes you think, oh, well, I'll just I'll stand for him then? No, you won't. You won't. If you can't stand for him today where the Holy Spirit is moving freely, if you can't stand for him today where grace has been extended to you, if you can't stand for him today in a nation that for the most part allows us to express our religious freedom, you won't if you miss the rapture. I'm not saying it's impossible for you to go to heaven after the fact, but it will be difficult. It will be difficult. Pastor Brad, why are you preaching like this? Because I believe this stuff. This morning, I'm not talking to you about a, a Tim LaHaye book that was popular in the 90s. I'm, I'm talking to you about what the Holy Word of God says. The Holy Word of God. That said, at midnight, the bridegroom came out. There were ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. Five were ready, five were not. When the bridegroom came out at midnight and said, behold, the trumpet was made, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Some of them said, let's, we don't have enough oil. Let's get some oil. And, and they tried to even borrow some from the five that had some. And guess what? They did not have the opportunity. Because when Jesus comes, that's not the time to get right. Because then you're going to get left. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. 
If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's what scripture says. Don't harden your heart like your fathers did in the wilderness where they murmured and complained about Moses and God kept showing himself to Israel. Don't harden your heart. Today is the day to simply say, yes, Lord. Why? Because God's got a plan for Israel, but he's also got a plan for us. And if we want to live in that new Jerusalem eternally, the Bible says that our name has to be written in that Lamb's book of life. And do you know how it gets in there? You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You acknowledge that you were a sinner and that Jesus bore the sins of eternity, past, present, and future upon his person. And that he died in your place. But not just that he died, but that he rose again. You know, you can go to the grave of John F. Kennedy and it would be significant because of whose body's there. You could find the grave of George Washington and it would be significant because of whose body's there. You could find the grave of Billy Graham who won thousands of souls, millions of souls to Christ and, and it would be significant because of whose body's there. But there is a grave located on the east side of Jerusalem that is significant not because of whose body's there but because of whose body is not there it's Jesus Christ and the same rings true for thousands of years he is not here he is risen just as he said stand up on your feet with me this morning I need to boldly and unashamedly this morning talk to those who are lukewarm, those who are far from God, those who do not have a commitment. Friend, listen, you can hide from the IRS. You can lie to your mother-in-law, but you cannot lie to Christ. He knows all things. He sees all things. This morning, I need to ask the question, dear friend, if Jesus were to come today or if you were to die one or the other, would you be ready to meet the Lord?